The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Star Wars 7x7, episode 2085. Before The Rise of Skywalker came out, based on footage that we'd seen in teasers and trailers and whatnot, we did an episode talking about the physics of some of the events that we saw. And today I'm going to follow up on some of those based on the information that we learned from The Rise of Skywalker Visual Dictionary. Punch it! Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod here with your daily dose of Star Wars joy. It's Star Wars 7x7. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Now, back, oh gosh, this is more than a few months ago, we talked with, or I talked with, Patrick Johnson, who is a professor of physics at Georgetown University. He's been on the show a few times before. And we talked about a couple of elements of The Rise of Skywalker that were shown to us in teasers and trailers and talked about the possibility of how they could be explained by the world of physics. Well, now that The Rise of Skywalker Visual Dictionary is out, there's a little bit more information about that. And by a little bit more information, I mean, well... <laughs> <laughs> in three particular cases, it's at least enough to explain one of them. And for another one, it just dismisses it entirely in a way. So I'm going to explain what I mean by that on today's episode. First of all, let's just talk about what those three particular things are. One of them has to do with the Death Star and the wreckage that fell onto Kethbir, the oceanic moon of Endor. How did the planet survive that wreckage falling? Okay, so that was question, well, not necessarily question number one, but that was one of the questions. That's the one we're going to answer first, though. Then there's also the question of what is the deal with that giant iceberg in space and how is it possible for it to be existing like that? And then there's also the question of the Orbox, the giant horses that are running on top of the Star Destroyer that we see in the final battle of The Rise of Skywalker. So the most information we get is about the Death Star wreckage on Kefbeer. And by the way, thank you very much to DK Publishing for sending me a copy of The Rise of Skywalker Visual Dictionary to look at and share with you. So we talked in a previous episode about the Visual Dictionary and about the fact that there are hyperspace anomalies near the Endor system and that people coming in and out of hyperspace might end up near other systems nearby in the Model sector. So this is actually part of the explanation for all intents and purposes of what happened with the Death Star at the time of the Battle of Endor and subsequently thereafter when it exploded. The Visual Dictionary says, Decades ago, the sky fell over Kefbeer. The eruption of the Death Star's reactor core upturned local physics as titanic explosive energies were shunted into hyperspace. The result was that the populated moons of Endor were spared the worst of the debris fallout. No sentient beings on Kefbeer's surface witnessed the Death Star's wreckage crash into the oceans, for the moon had no intelligent life forms. 
No scientists recorded the resulting impact or could explain what variables prevented such a catastrophic event from simply obliterating all life on the moon. It would be just one of the many mysteries the Death Star would take to its grave. In other words, I think this one has to fall squarely in the realm of suspension of disbelief. <laughs> I mean, I don't think there's any other way to explain this situation. There is other information that does sound more logical and easier to believe without suspension, if you will. It says the area of the Death Star wreckage has undergone an ecological catastrophe with toxic spillage from the battle station poisoning most of the aquatic life for kilometers around. And it also says that uh, pelted by angry oceans for decades, the Death Star ruins are badly eroded and hazardously unstable. And as far as the specific piece of the Death Star that fell, well, it is partially the equatorial trench, and I would say maybe around from 4.30 to 7 o'clock for the super laser concavity, if you will. Alright, so the Visual Dictionary goes on to say that uh, dominating the horizon of Kefbir is a massive band of wreckage from the second Death Star. A section of the battle station's equator rises like a mountainous island from the churning ocean. It is so large that it shapes the moon's weather, and a whole new ecosystem has been formed by the creatures that it has displaced. As it rots, eaten away by the salt water, each year millions of tons of industrial toxins steep into the oceans. Debris washes up all along the coasts of Kefbeer's principal ocean, artifacts of the galactic civil war. That any of it survived, or that the moon itself survived such a colossal impact, is a miracle in a star system filled with the unexplained. And as wreckage washes ashore, and also you know, from actual salvage operations to the folks from Company 77, that's Jana and her other former First Order compatriots, they are salvaging equipment from the Death Star that can be used for survival purposes. Not everything is explained by the Death Star remnants arrival, however, particularly these 120-foot waves that we see in the movie. This is not caused by anything to do with the Death Star, this is actually caused by the orbit of other moons within the Endor system. That activity is what churns the tides so tremendously on Kefbeer. There is one other element to this that's shared in the Visual Dictionary that doesn't really line up with the final movie, and I have to presume that, you know, maybe there's something that happened between when the Visual Dictionary was written and anything that might have happened with the production of the movie. And that has to do with the location of the Emperor's Vault. So we see in the movie where Rey uses Ochi's dagger to, you know, pull out that little thing and kind of measure where in the Death Star wreckage they might find the Wayfinder. Well, they're looking at the concavity of the super laser, but the Emperor's Wayfinder is in a room off the throne room, and there is a note in the Visual Dictionary. It says, A section of the station's northern pole has separated and fallen in front of the main structure, the main structure of that giant piece of Death Star wreckage. And in a little sidebar box, it says, Raise clues point her to the remains of the Emperor's throne room located in a demolished tower that once capped the Death Star's north pole. Here, the Emperor kept a vault for his captured Sith and Jedi relics. As Rey climbs her way through the debris and nears her objective, she feels the presence of the dark side, etc, etc, etc. So, yeah, it doesn't quite line up with the way that it's shown to us in the movie per se, but certainly logically it makes sense that that's where his Wayfinder would be stored. 
And that's that for our discussion of what happened with the Death Star, which is uh, kind of a non-answer answer. As far as the Glacier and the Orbox, well, we have different results for those, and I'll share those with you after the break. Stay tuned. Hey Rebel Razor, I've made some changes to the asteroid belt level at patreon.com slash SW7X7 and they are all with sponsors in mind. So if you want to get the word out about your business, your product, your service to a dedicated Star Wars audience, then please check out patreon.com slash SW7X7 and look for the asteroid belt level for details. Again, that's patreon.com slash SW7X7. Welcome back. So those other two elements, we actually talked about one of them in a previous episode this week, about the Sinta Glacier Colony. That whole giant iceberg thing is billions of years old, and it was gradually pulled into orbit around the star Sinta, and you know, it was now just orbiting <laughs> the star, and that's it. And so there's nothing particularly remarkable about that after all, just that's what it is. It's the heart of a mega comet. And the other question was about those Orbox, the giant horse-like creatures running on the top of the Star Destroyer, or on, you know, the outside of the Star Destroyer. One of the things that we didn't understand at the time was whether this was in atmosphere or up in space, and we now know from the movie that it's in atmosphere. One of the questions, of course, is, well, gee, why didn't the Star Destroyer just turn sideways and dump them all off? I like the idea, personally, of, you know, magnetized horseshoes or something like that. That just kind of, you know, amuses me with my headcanon or whatever. And I know there have also been questions about whether the surface of a Star Destroyer is flat or slanted to begin with, you know, whatever the orientation was. I think this is another one of those situations where, you know, plot is moving as fast as an Orbog, if not faster, and let's just comparatively suspend, you know, questions about that. I don't think that's a disbelief suspension. I think that's just a, whoa, they're running. Let, let's just move on and enjoy it, all right? Let's just enjoy it, for pity's sake, and not get too wrapped up in it, shall we? All right, there you go. That's the situation with physics questions that we posed to Patrick Johnson of Georgetown University prior to the release of The Rise of Skywalker, and this is what we've learned about them, or not <laughs> learned about them as the case may be, as a result of the Visual Dictionary. And again, thank you to DK Publishing for a tremendously awesome Visual Dictionary for producing it, and also for gifting me a copy as well to share with you. And that's going to do it for this episode of the show. Thank you so much for joining me for it, as always. And may the Force be with you, wherever in the galaxy you may be. Star Wars 7x7 is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the Force be with them. All original content is copyright 2020 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.